What's going on, guys? Welcome to a very special episode of A Wild Podcast Has Appeared, the official Pokemon podcast of comicbook.com. Today is uh, a day I've actually been looking forward to all week. Uh, Megan and I both got to see uh, Detective Pikachu. Megan's seen it uh, twice. I've seen it twice. And with us on the line today are the writers of Detective Pikachu, Dan Hernandez and uh, Benji Samit. Guys, welcome. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. How's the... uh, How's the, the, now, you know, we're Wednesday, we're, you know, a couple days after the opening weekend. How, how are you guys feeling about it? We're feeling great. I mean, <laughs> you know, it's, this is something that we started working on over two years ago. Uh, and to finally be out there all over the world and see people loving it is just like the dream. I mean, you know, there are so many things that can go wrong in the process of trying to put a movie together, not only, you know, at the script stage, but at every step of the way, it's kind of a miracle any movie gets made and even a miracle that any movie is good. Mm. So there are a lot of moments along the way where you're hoping that this movie can be everything that you imagine it to be in your mind and not really until the people start to see it that you know for sure. And based on the response that we've been getting on Twitter and the reviews, it, 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 it's everything that we possibly could have hoped and honestly much. It's got to be pretty gratifying to see people saying, oh my gosh, someone finally broke the video game movie curse. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah, I mean, and that's, that's not something that we ever, like, set out, set to, out to do. Set out to do, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we just wanted to make a good movie. You know, people talk about the video game curse. Personally, we both feel like there have been some good video game movies before. Yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we don't really believe in the curse like that. Uh-huh. But, you know, we're just happy that, yeah, we'll love it. So. <laughs> yeah, I mean, listen, if people want to say that we broke the video game curse, I'm not going to stop them from saying that. But, mm-hmm. uh, I do think it's it's interesting that video games get held to this sort of artificial standard that that other genres of movies don't get held to. I don't know what it's going to take for everyone to say, yes, the video game movie curse is broken. Does that mean, you know, it's a Godfather best picture with (laughs) adaptation? I don't know. You know, so to us, the video game curse was broken when fans of Pokemon started saying to us, this is the movie that I've been waiting Mm -hmm. 20 years to see. Or, Mm -hmm imagination of what this movie could be has been met by what you guys have put together the entire team and and rob and actors and all of the different departments like that that's us been the the sign of success rather than some arbitrary well yes the video game movie first is broken it's not or it almost is broken but not quite (laughs) Mm -hmm. i I think this you start to go down that path and 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 the goalposts Keep moving so yep. basically you just have to say we're really proud of what we made and it seems like true fans of of this you know franchise are, are loving it and mm. and that mm. that so meaningful to us nice mm-hmm. uh so i want to i want to sort of go back a little bit to to i guess some of the early days of, of you guys approaching this script and whatnot um was the, was the project always detective pikachu or was it 
a, hey, we want to do a live action Pokemon movie. Where, where should we go? Where should we start? Um, when we first got involved, it was already Detective Pikachu. I think some of those conversations uh, happened before us. Okay. Uh, but Detective Pikachu is what, you know, Legendary and the Pokemon Company uh, were sort of in agreement of, like, if we're going to make a live-action Pokemon movie, it needs to be different. It needs a reason to exist. We don't want to just remake uh, stories we've already seen before. And I think they rightfully thought this weird side game that... <laughs> Now, most people were not familiar with was actually a really cool thing to see in live action. You know, Grime City and, and Pokemon and people living together is just such a cinematic thing uh, that that's what they wanted to do from very early on. And when we first heard about it, we were like, yeah, that sounds awesome. So, where, so what were some of like the the early stage, you know, the early steps really for you guys um, in? You know, because the the movie is not a, a straight adaptation of the game. It takes a bunch of you know different uh, elements and things like that. Um, was there kind of that aha moment for you guys as far as like when you broke the story down on you know taking the the story um, in the direction that you guys inevitably went? Yeah, I I would say early on. You know, what was tricky about this is when you're in Rhyme City, there's no Pokeballs, there's no trainers, there's no battles. Uh, it's a lot of the, the things that you would count on to write about in a Pokemon movie. We were just not going to use those. And so we really needed to figure out how to that Pokemon feel into it. And what we settled in on was the idea of evolution. Um, and it was very early on. We are like, this needs to be a movie about evolution. Uh, you know, the game, as fun as it is, it's it's not fully about something. It's more, you know, the solving little clues, puzzles. And we wanted it to be about you know, not only Pokemon evolving, but, you know, can people evolve too? Can a, a father-son relationship evolve? Um, that's what we focus in on from early on is finding the emotion, finding the real to, to lack on in this world. Yeah, I mean, I would say that the other thing that was really a challenge and a necessary thing to figure out at the beginning was, how are we going to balance introducing the world of Pokemon not in a live action way, not only to fans who have been with this franchise for decades, but also to people like my mom <laughs> know nothing about it. And, right. and still we want those people to have an enjoyable experience as well. So it really became about thinking how to economically explain a lot of the rules of Pokemon, but also as you know, some people have pointed out, because Rhyme City has its own set of rules, even independent of the Pokemon world that we've established, you know, over all these games and, and the anime movies. So you now have to do a twist on even the original. Mm -hmm. And so as a screenwriter, it's 
became quite challenging to figure out the most sensible, simple without losing nuance or, you know, it's, it's, it's like, how do you take a, a fairly complex idea and distill it down and it's not dumped down, but it is accessible? Mm-hmm. That, that, that was a big challenge for us. Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program, available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. So you said a second ago that you had to build this world, but you couldn't use things like the Pokeballs at first and trainers that you know were so iconic for the Pokemon franchise. Um, and I know a lot of discussion went into how you would build this world um, with you as the writers and Rob Letterman as the director and the Pokemon company. But is there anything you both as writers really wanted to bring into this world from the Pokemon franchise that uh, the other crew, whether it's the Pokemon company or the director or any other staff that they were hesitant to bring into the story. Um, I know Jim and I have talked about, you know, we really wanted to see, um, you know, like the police officers, um, like the Poke Centers and stuff like that. Um, so is there anything that you wish was able to become part of this universe in Detective Pikachu, but couldn't quite make it? Um. I wouldn't say there was anything that we really were like, oh man, this needs to be in there. And it's, you know, it's upsetting that you won't let us put it in there. (laughs) Because because we all went in with this attitude of we're going to do something different. We're going to do something that doesn't use much from what exists. Uh, We weren't begging to use any of that stuff. It more became like, we just wanted to make it about the Pokemon themselves. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, for instance, like on the first day we were working on this movie, we said uh, to Legendary, we want Psyduck in this movie. Uh, we, <laughs> we really felt it was important. We wanted to showcase the, you know, that even the what people consider the lamest Pokemon, whether Psyduck, Magikarp, things like that. We wanted to show in this universe uh, that everyone has a great potential inside them. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so we were excited about stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Uh, Bigger picture things about what the Pokemon franchise means to us. Uh, And so some of the the specific, the, the, the smaller things from the universe, we didn't feel were quite as necessary, at least for this story. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I would say that there were things that we had in initial drafts that for one reason or another fell out um, that I sort of, you know, I wish we had just had enough time and 
and you know ability to do everything. So I was interested in things like what does garbage collect look like? In <laughs> is that a garbador wandering around mm. and sort of just like a wandering trash pile? At a certain <laughs> point, we had an idea that Durants were sort of like the office drones, and instead of you know having a courier, you just give it to your Durant, and the Durant kind of goes and. <laughs> is scurrying throughout the, the halls of, of the office building. So there were things like that that, that you know, were really fun. Uh, we had an extended scene with Jigglypuff at one point that I, that's the one that I kind of miss. Oh. Uh, but so there were little things like that. But as you started to, you know, really focus in on what is necessary for the story or what was practical for, you know, the mm-hmm. animators or, you know, there were certain things that just couldn't all make it in. Right. The, the stuff that wound up getting cut was not because the Pokemon company or Legendary or anyone was saying, this can't be in the movie. Like, it was more just coming from, like, the pacing of this does not work. You know, it, it was really just what was best for the story we were trying to tell. Mm. So uh, from this point, I'm going to say uh, I'm going to put out a big old spoiler warning for anyone who has stumbled across this, uh, because I think now, you know, not that we're going to go too heavy, heavy. But in case you haven't seen it, pause, come back, and then you're going to enjoy this way, way, way way more. Um, With that being said, and just to to follow up, only because I'm it's just my own Pokemon (laughs) fan, morbid curiosity. So do Pokemon centers exist in Rhyme City? And we just haven't seen them, or has Rhyme City of is has your Rhyme City evolved past that? Um, like like is Psyduck going to it, like does Psyduck have a, a general practitioner that he goes to if he's <laughs> if he's you know feeling feeling off, or is there a set you know does that concept of a Pokemon Center uh, exist? I would say that Rhyme City was founded on this idea of people and Pokemon living together in harmony. Uh, And and it is different from every other region we've seen. Um, And so, you know, I I imagine that you have, (laughs) you know, yeah, Pokemon basically living a a human-style existence if they choose to. Right. Uh, Mm So, like, Psyduck yeah. could theoretically go see uh, a therapist or something if he if he needed to, or... Uh, I, I think it is much more likely in Rhyme City, and, you know, this is just my opinion, that right. there is a Pokemon vet, and that yeah. there is a Pokemon, you know... Okay. Pokemon ecologist, and that, <laughs> that there are, you know, sort of specialized jobs and areas of, of you know, working that, that are unique to this place because mm-hmm. of the way it's founded and because of the way that it was. Right. You probably developed. have a, a, a healer Pokemon that has a nice practice. They've opened up. <laughs> oh man. Now I need the Pokemon in like Grey's Anatomy mashup. <laughs> That's what I need now. <laughs> uh, you guys mentioned introducing, having to introduce history in a way that was uh, digestible and, um, you know, easy enough for uh, Dan's mom to to understand it. Um, <laughs> there, I mean, there's a lot. There was a lot there to to work with. Um, what were some of the the hardest parts? Do you think in 
uh, in condensing that down. I mean, obviously, I mean, I thought you guys did it great in a way that, like I said, was accessible. But at the same time, like when you're uh, in uh, in the office and you see the Ar- Arceus, uh, you know, statue in the background, something like that, which is a nice nod for the fans that that see that. Uh, but I imagine that would have been. I mean, he's, I mean, he's even in the the cave paintings and whatnot. But I imagine that probably to me felt like something that must have been really hard to kind of cliff notes for sure um you know we what we didn't want to do is feel like we had to explain every single detail of the people you know throw enough in that people that know the world understand what we're saying and then throw enough in that people that had no idea what this is could come in and and get it for the most part. You know, I my grandparents had a few questions, but <laughs> but we didn't we didn't feel like we needed to tell everything to yeah. everyone. We yeah. wanted to hint at that this universe and this world is bigger than what you're seeing in the movie, and uh, and make people excited to know more or dig deeper into it. I, I think that one of the exciting things about a world like this, and I'll, and I'll compare it to something like Star Wars, where you don't necessarily know the history of every single character that you see when Luke is in, you know, Tatooine, or when they're going to Jabba's palace. But if you care to seek out that information, there are answers mm-hmm. in mind. That's what I did when I was young. I, I would say, well, who is Bib Fortuna? How do, what, do I, what do I, what's that guy's deal? Let me research that. Let me get into it. And so I think that we felt that it was important to have as many overtures to the greater canon of Pokemon as we could, but not flowing down the story so much that we felt like we had to bring, you know, people had no idea in on what this is. And there were a lot of conversations right. yeah. about that. In in earlier drafts, definitely went into more detail about you know ancient Mew and finding fossils and this and that. And it was just it, at the end of the day, we felt like you know what, you don't need to go into all this. At least not in this movie. You you understand enough what's going on uh, to, to follow the story. But with, with that said, if people are so inclined to go and research and figure out right. mm-hmm. what I mean, there are, you know, Bulbapedia is available to you at any, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, at any And so we, we wanted to not answer every question uh, in order to make it feel like you were being thrown into this world, this world function, rather you going about your bit. Like when Tim Goodman first appears in that great shot, there's, bank, you know, there's random business people about their business guys got a charmander I don't know, just they're not concerned about him they're mm-hmm. only concerned about going on with their everyday lives it's not i would say it's in place but not and i think that that makes it more extraordinary for someone which is to the people in prime city this is life this mm-hmm. mm-hmm. like morning rush up right is, mm-hmm. is you know just this morass of Pokemon and people and trying to get where you're going. And to me, that sense of being overwhelmed by Pokemon in that scene is one of the, the coolest, most exciting moments. 
retirement because it really the world opened in in I mean I remember you know he wrote it and I still my breath was taken away <laughs> when, I, when I saw that because I thought to myself oh Pokemon are real mm-hmm. this is just how it goes in the city and so we did you know so that that was sort of the, the, our thinking and how to balance some of the different elements of the greater camp. Uh, I think one uh, there's a, another character in the movie that comes with a bit of pre-existing baggage in the sense of um, events that have happened outside of this movie playing, uh, you know, having an effect in this movie, and that's Mewtwo. Um, mm-hmm. What what was sort of the, can, can you guys talk about like the decision-making uh, process there in terms of like how much of Mewtwo's history do, do you really go into uh, versus, you know, ju- just providing enough to, to move your story forward? I mean, cause obviously, you know, there is that, that mention of, um, you know, the, the, the Kanto incident and, and that. And so diehard fans are going to be like, Oh, that's the Pokemon movie. Right. And so, um, but and, you guys, and, like, you mention it, and then you, you move on. And so was that uh, a conscious decision because of time, or was that more of a story thing you guys were playing with? Well, so, you know, Mewtwo has always been in part of this because, you know, uh, he's in the, the game, yep. mm-hmm. and we knew he was going to play a big role. And in writing it, you know, it became this thing of, like, we have to be clear that there's only one Mewtwo. Mm-hmm. Like, and when we're doing this movie that's set in such a different world of Pokemon, we didn't want it to feel like a disconnected universe right. that mm-hmm. you know, is just like an alternate history that uses the same creatures. Mm-hmm. We want it to be very clear that like this movie is part of the greater Pokemon universe. And so if Mewtwo's in it, He's probably going to be the same Mewtwo. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I, I thought that that was important because as a fan, it seemed like the first live action book should happen. Right. You're right. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Absolutely. For sure. That just felt to me like something I would want as a fan of the, of the franchise. I want to see how, how, you know, he looks on screen and how it, it, it all plays out. But at so at the same time, we wanted to make sure that people who have been with this franchise since the beginning know that all of the time and the research hours put in studying and caring about these characters, that's not being in any way. That that's still relevant to what's mm-hmm. going on in this world. And I hope that if there are future movies, it also expands possibilities of what's going on in uh, what's going on in some of these other regions so that anything that you know has happened in the history of the Pokemon world is accessible and is usable for the screen mm-hmm. versions of these movies. And, that, and that's very exciting. And I yeah. think that that's mm-hmm. exciting to a lot of the at least a lot of the feedback that we've been getting has been very excited that this is all connected. That it's not some universe, that it is the same Pokemon that we all grew up with. Mm-hmm. Well, it's interesting because you guys have done such a, a great job laying that type of foundation. Um, but but does this foundation mean that, you know, if Legendary and the Pokemon Company decide, you know, decide to 
uh, open it up to another writer to tackle a different, you know, Pokemon movie or whatnot that we could theoretically see, like, you know, if if it's taking place in the same timeline, like a 30-year-old Ash Ketchum type thing, <laughs> if that's how the, the, the weird timeline, I feel like Detective Pikachu uh, tying, trying to tie a bunch of dots together. But, <laughs> but, but, but just based on what you said, it feels like, like, if someone, if that's a, a, a story plot point that someone wants to pick up and run with, it could be entirely possible, but it's not necessarily something that you guys intended to set up. Yeah, uh, obviously we can't speak for Legendary and the Pokemon right. Company, mm-hmm. but in, in our minds, you know, this entire universe is fair game. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it's definitely when we writing this movie it was not only our goal but rob's goal the studio's goal everyone's goal to really just focus on one movie tell yep. a story yep. right. that has a beginning a middle and an end uh and not necessarily be like a movie that sort of ends but really it's like a cliffhanger for the sequel like we wanted to to tell a completed piece and if people responded to it then obviously yeah more conversations will be had of right. <laughs> So you guys are totally game to do another one, if they if they came if they came knocking on your door, you're like you're signing you're signing right up. Absol- sure. Of course, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, I've been asking a ton of questions. So no, so, so follow up question to that: If you sign on to the next one, when can I expect to see Vaporeon? <laughs> <laughs> you know, this has been one of the main things that we feel bad about is that everyone has their favorite, and it is very personal to people, and so we get a lot <laughs> of. Twitter that's like, <laughs> how could you, how could you do this movie without, you know, Caterpie or whatever, you know, like <laughs> it, when we, when we first started working on, you know, we, we couldn't tell everyone, we had to keep it secret that we were working on this, but we told a few of our like big Pokemon nerd friends uh-huh. and we would get text messages of like which Pokemon we had to put in the movie. And it, <laughs> Eventually, it's like, oh, we'll, we'll do the best we can. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, that, that brought I, I, up... Oh, sorry. I was going to say, you know, one good thing about, you know, the more movies there are, I think more opportunities there are for everybody to get their favorite. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, so but, whose choice was Flareon, though? Yeah. Of the, of the potential outcomes for Eevee? Yeah, why was Flareon picked? I think that might have been Rob. I think that was a Rob decision. Yeah. Oh. Uh, I think that that was a Rob decision. Um... We knew that we wanted to have Evie in the movie yep. mm-hmm. in capacity because we love Evie, one of the cutest character designs, in my yes. opinion. And so we felt it was important to have that character represented. And then, of course, you have all these, you know, which way do you go? With it? And, I, and I think that Rob, uh, in consultation, probably visual effects people made the decision to go with him. Mm-hmm. Now, if you had to pick, who who would you have picked? The answer is Vaporeon. <laughs> Vaporeon. Vaporeon. <Okay. laughs> oh, man, I feel like I just bullied you into that. <laughs> well, speaking of Evie, I know you said you definitely wanted that uh, Pokemon in the film. Um, and when you see that first shot of Tim coming into Rhyme City, uh, I've seen it multiple times. And I'm just sitting there trying to pick out Pokemon, um, figure out which Pokemon's like doing like DoorStash delivery, but like Rhyme City style. Um, but I wanted to know... Is there, have you, having you having seen like the online reaction, people pointing out which their favorite Pokemon are from the film, is there any Pokemon in this movie that fans have missed so far 
that is in it just for so quickly you haven't seen people paying enough attention to it and you wish people would notice that it was there because there's a split second where we see Graveler. Right, yeah. For um, me, it was the Graveler. Yeah. yeah. Graveler role. And I, I was actually, like, yeah, Graveler. Yeah, as soon as we saw Graveler, I was like losing my <laughs> mind. But he was there and he was I, gone. I actually was going to say Graveler because mm-hmm. in earlier drafts of the movie – Graveler actually played a, a slightly bigger role in some of the things Interesting. that were going on, at least in some of our in our so, early drafts. Yeah, not not all of them, but some of the character designs that you see of you know smaller roles in the movie that maybe you just see for a second. Some of them had you know the characters were designed because they had bigger roles to play in different versions of the script, uh, mm-hmm. and so yeah, I mean. We would like to see more Traveler. We, we put him in early on. Uh, and, yeah, I mean, I'm you know, I, 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 well, who were Who were some of the other Pokemon that, had, that yeah. potentially would have had bigger roles? Well, like I said, we had a longer sequence with Jigglypuff uh-huh. that ultimately I, I think was probably correctly changed just to, to keep the story moving. And, would it have and had, it had singing? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> there was a little more sing- singing. Okay. Uh, Barbara Streisand style. <laughs> <laughs> um, who else? I mean, we had a whole sequence with a Golbat that I really yeah. liked. Mm-hmm. That didn't wind. Golbat didn't even wind up in the final movie, but you know that was one that we were really excited about. What else? I mean, stuff like what we said, like Garbodor. Like we were trying to think of like the most urban mm. Pokemon, mm. like. Mm-hmm. Smeargle doing like graffiti painting. Uh, <laughs> there was a sequence at one point that I, that I was very excited about uh, that was going to be in a Pokemon like on Natural History Museum. Oh, that was so. That's a good example of of a sequence that you know, sort of texturing in mm-hmm. what you know. I was thinking of the Met when we were you know, sort of <laughs> like or like the the Fields Museum in Chicago. You know, like. It seemed like this city would have a museum of some kind, and so there were a lot of different, you know, Pokemon represented in that sequence as mm-hmm. well. You know, it kind of, again, that, that you know, was, it was pacing. It, it was, was just, just a lot. Mm-hmm. You know, one of the great, one of the great, uh, you know, sort of challenges as a screenwriter is sometimes you write something that you really love, and at a certain point you realize. In a vacuum, this is great, but in the context of the larger story and the needs of the story, it's actually not that essential. And sometimes those are the most difficult things to let go of because mm-hmm. you no know, people will love this if it's the movie. I know I love this, but there's a greater agenda to service. And so those were some of the things that, that didn't quite make it be, you know, if we had had three and a half hours to tell the story, <laughs> <laughs> uh, and this is something that I, is something that I think I saw, but I couldn't necessarily confirm it. But in the, the obviously the, the the battle underground, the underground battle scene, uh, uh-huh. did you guys include an Alolan Rattata? Um, or is that something that I, the, the effects guys may have snuck in? Because I could have sworn I saw one, I, but. That, Maybe the effects guys snuck it in. I <laughs> okay. have not noticed it, <laughs> but I mean, it, there's so much going on. There, that there, there's stuff that I definitely have not noticed yet. Yeah, to mm-hmm. be honest, we've seen it quite a few times now, and we're yeah. still <laughs> just little 
little Easter eggs that the I mean the people who worked on the effects of this mm-hmm. movie I think mm-hmm. are the great unsung heroes. I mean they should be sung. I mm-hmm. mean, mm-hmm. Really, you know, as a screenwriter, you're hoping that the visuals can match what your imagination is trying to produce, mm-hmm. and you also know that if it doesn't there's going to be a lot of very disappointed people and the movie maybe doesn't work. Mm. Or even if the story is good, people are not going to take it as seriously. And so as writers, when we saw that first trailer, there was such a palpable sense of relief mm-hmm. for mm. us. As we thought to ourselves, these geniuses, these amazing visual artists, they did it. Mm-hmm. Just what we hope. And that to me was the entry point for so many people who had been maybe a little skeptical about this or even about the idea of a live action Pokemon movie. And so you start to realize how all of the different parts of the movie work together. Holistic, the score I think is absolutely incredible in this movie. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, so all of these things have to be firing on all cylinders in order to make a movie that is good. And that, part of the reason sometimes I think some things fall fall short when you, you, know, you go to a movie and you go, oh, there was something that didn't quite work about it but sometimes it's you know there are these un, there are these things that aren't as that affect that viewing experience beyond the acting or the writing or the directing and we were very fortunate in this case that every department up the bottom did a remarkable so I know you said that you've seen this plenty of times, and there may or may not be an Alolan Radita in this film. We will find out. I will go see it again tonight and find out. Um, but I wanted to ask, I know you've seen tons of Easter eggs. What is the Easter egg for both of you that you think is your favorite as fans of the franchise? Because um, I saw one that was like skiing, like surfing, and it made me think of the skier and surfer trainers that are in the games, and I got like irrationally excited. So what's an Easter egg for both of you that you guys were like, oh, it made it? that you're really excited about? Hmm. Um, I think there's, there's the Oak apartment buildings at a mm-hmm. certain point. I thought that was pretty a nice touch. And in earlier draft, we had more explicit sort of Easter eggs written in that, you know, some of them, you know, again, you know, fully make it in. But that mm-hmm. was one I was very happy to see. Um, I mean, like, I... I like Snorlax blocking traffic. <laughs> it's something that, I mean, we had that in early scripts. That, yeah. was, that was something we always wanted in there. Um, you know, I think, yeah, that line about you two being from the Kanto region is one that's, you know, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't know if that's quite an Easter egg, but it, it's definitely uh, provocative and I, I like that and there's a there's a moment you know where they sort of video sequence they cut to a trainer seems he's certainly wearing a lot of red (laughs) (laughs) yes he is (laughs) so that to me is for the people that choose to interpret it as you know is this Mm -hmm. red well he's wearing a lot of red Mm -hmm. (laughs) nice um those are some of the ones that we really enjoyed and a quick question for you guys about and i wasn't sure if this was uh, a story-based thing based off the, the world you guys were building. Um, in some cases, you have Pokemon saying their name. Psyduck says his name. 
uh, you know, Pikachu does the Pika Pika. Uh, but in some instances, you have uh, Pokemon like Bulbasaur, uh, who are making a bit more like animalistic type noises. Um, it, does Bulbasaur say his name? And just in those scenes, he he didn't, or is was there like a reason for that? Like, is it are the more like the Pokemon in Rhyme City have learned to do it, but the Pokemon in the wild don't necessarily do it. I, I'm at this point, it's all conjecture for me. So. <laughs> um, I think that, that that's a, actually a really great question. And it was something that we talked about. Um, we felt like it was okay to have different species behave in, in different ways throughout mm. the movie. Do it's just my personal opinion. I don't know what is canonically right, but it did seem to me to make sense that the Pokemon in Rhymes interacting on a more regular basis, like Ludicol, mm-hmm. for instance, you know, that they might have developed more of a sense of that Psyduck living in this city. And then the Bulbasaur, I think that the idea is, I think that any of these creatures theoretically could be capable of it. Mm-hmm. In that moment seemed like it's we, a more pastoral. We, we also right. really want that moment to be about that extra sensory, you know, that that the the different way of communicating yeah. with mm-hmm. Pokemon, uh, the emotional bond that lets them understand you. Uh, so we wanted to, I think, downplay the actual like talking mm-hmm. of that moment and really make it more about. Uh, a strong emotional connection. The proverbial wild bulbasaur. Right. right? <laughs> no, but that's really what that yeah. scene was about, you mm-hmm. know? And that was something that Benji and I very consciously wrote into the movie. I remember writing that scene at about four o'clock in the morning. And I remember thinking, I don't know how people are going to react. It's very emotional scene between a human and a bulbasaur. Mm-hmm. But we felt it was important to capture some element of the majesty of nature and the wonder of these creatures. It, it, you know, I, I've occasionally compared it to occasionally a dolphin safe drowning human. We don't really, mm-hmm. we don't really know what communication or what instinctual communication is going on there. Mm-hmm. We just know it happens, and, and this is documented. And so we felt like in the world of Pokemon, opening one's heart up to this creature, sort of yielding up some control to this force of nature, you know, like a wild bulb, Mm -hmm. right? Like that, there was, we wanted to capture that emotional. And it's not until that Kim is able to go to a place that that his journey, you know, his journey can't be completed and so that's actually maybe my favorite. Mm-hmm. Cool. Uh, I think uh, we've maybe got time for maybe two more questions, and we'll let these guys go. Mm-hmm. If you want your last shot, my last shot. Go for it. So Make my a good one. My <laughs> I have pressure now. My question was um, kind of more related to what you were just saying about this emotional connection between the Pokemon. I thought it was very interesting in that first scene where we see Tim and he's trying to get the Cubone and it was very dark humor because that poor Cubone has had a bad <laughs> life so far. Um, so, there, I'm sorry. So, I don't mean to get you, but I, no joke, laughed out loud. Oh yeah. At the, just, yeah, just wearing a skull of your dead, of your dead ancestors. <laughs> oh man. I was so ready. Um, 
But in that scene, there's that moment where um, his friend says, you know, the Pokemon has to choose you too, um, nice. which relates so much to the anime of I choose you, Pikachu, I choose you. Um, it's always been that very much the perspective from the human. And so I wanted to ask if that line was put in the film as kind of um, that beginning, you know, taste of this film is more about the emotional connection. And if there was that cognizant recognition of that, it's kind of playing off that iconic statement of the I choose you, Pikachu. It it, it definitely is playing off of that. And we wanted to set up this idea of, you know, in this world, you have, yeah, your Pokemon partner, um, where it is, we wanted it to be a mutual connection, um, where it's not just about, you know, humans controlling these creatures, but it really is about an emotional connection between two living things. Um, and then, yeah, that is out between Tim and Pikachu over the course of the movie. Uh, so, yes, that we were cognizant of all of that and glad you picked up. <laughs> Perfect. Any other question? Uh, I know, uh, was working with, uh, sorry, I'm going to back up. When Ryan Reynolds was attached to it, uh, I know Ryan has spoken on a number of occasions when he was working on both Deadpool movies, um, that, you know, he, there, a lot of what he did with those, you know, there was a bunch of improv that kind of happened, a lot of jokes, you know, some ADR and, and things like that. Um, was there, did you guys have like a, a version of the script, uh, pre Ryan that you then wrote maybe post Ryan? And then were you guys, uh, potentially working with Ryan for some on the fly, uh, stuff or, you know, like, what did, what did that process kind of look like? So when we were working on the movie, this, it was actually before Ryan okay. attached to be in the movie. And so much of the character of Pikachu and his attitude and sort of the neo noir mm -hmm. dialogue and things like that, that was all interesting before Ryan came. What happened, and obviously extremely fortunate to get someone like Ryan, I dream of time to come on the movie, mm -hmm. is he's so funny <laughs> and that he is capable of inhabiting his character and improv and throwing in his own joke and putting his own spin on the character. So I think that once he came forward, there, there was a tendency to write toward that. And, and, I, and I know Rob you know, wrote a bunch of fun stuff with Ryan once Ryan came on. And yeah, it was definitely like an evolving process. But the, the core of the character was there before Ryan just took it to the next level. Mm -hmm. mm. Awesome. I mean, it works. <laughs> it works so well. Uh, so, are you guys like now now working on uh, whatever your your next projects are are next? Are you guys taking a bit of a break? Uh, what's what's kind of in the pipeline for you guys? You know, we were working on. You know, we we do a lot of TV writing. You know, we yep. just mm -hmm. did uh, three years of One Day at a Time, which just got canceled. We did uh, the last season of The Tick, and. Now we are finding, we sort of timed it out that let the movie come out and uh, and see what comes next. We have a few things we're working on that we can't talk about yet. Mm -hmm. uh, Detective Pikachu too. <laughs> <laughs> well, just that, you know, it's a provocative question. Uh, <laughs> but, 
but we we have some stuff in the pipeline that you know hopefully people will be finding out about mm-hmm. in the not too distant future that that we're really excited about uh both in movies and tv and mm-hmm. so, you know keep your eyes peeled set cool. your google <laughs> Well, guys, thank you again. Um, and, you know, for those of you listening, uh, this has been a, a phenomenal chat with the writers of uh, Dick Picture. I want to thank them again for taking the time. Uh, if you're new to, uh, to A Wild Podcast Has Appeared, you can find us normal episodes every Thursday uh, on iTunes, on Spotify, on Stitcher, basically wherever you get a podcast, you can find this one there. Mm-hmm. Um, you can find me uh, at Twitter at Jim Biscardi. I'm on Twitter at Megan Peters CB. Can, where can people find you guys online? Uh, I'm at Benji Samet. Uh, and I am at Cuban Missile DH. Nice. Ooh. Awesome. Thanks again, guys. And you know, uh, we'll see you guys next time. Yes. Thank All you right. so much, Thanks, guys. guys. Bye. Bye. Bye.